Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 244 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Man, I want to start just by saying thank you to all of you who continue to not only listen, but share and leave ratings and reviews. I know you're listening to this on your drive, on your run, working out at the gym, on your spin, cooking dinner or whatever. But for all of you who take time to leave a rating and review, thank you. We have over 850 of them right now in the US iTunes store. Amy, Saw yours, Van Slam, what a great name too. And she said, whether uh, in your heart, living it out or trying to figure it all out, it's always so worth the time. Uh, Just listened to the episode with Annie F. Downs. That one got a lot of feedback, by the way, like just super feedback. And it was truly one of my favorite, absolute favorite episodes. Thank you for your vulnerability, boldness, and your heart for your listener friends. Hey, Amy, thank you so much for that. Uh, V. Walker, thank you for your review for LAF 2018. Thank you. A. Alexander, get get this. Okay, he said, I just started listening last night, but I'm already on episode 30. Dude, that's crazy. Okay, but good for you. <laughs> like, good for you. The shows are clear to the point, full of ministry and church insights. Carrie's like a coach. He motivates you with every question. And the show notes are fire. Thanks for using the fire emoji. It's my favorite. Hey, for all of you who are leaving ratings and reviews, thank you. That's what I wanted to start with. My guest today is Scott Saul. Scott's been on the podcast a few times and he's one of my favorite voices because he's trying to cut through the crazy. And I'm just going to guess that a lot of you like don't want to be crazy. And we live in a crazy culture. So he's going to talk about the essence of the Christian faith. What happens if we get back to it? He's got a brand new book. Going to dig into that. In the meantime, um, did you guys, any, any of you see the post? I usually do a post at the beginning of the year called Disruptive Church Trends. So I had one this year in January. We'll link to it in the show notes on five disruptive church trends. By the way, these also work for businesses if you can apply the uh, the logic there. Uh, but number three was actually that churches have to start staffing online like it was a real thing. So here's the reality. 99% of churches spend 99% of their money in the in-person experience, which is great. But the reality is so much of your interaction is online. And I know what you're thinking. I don't have the budget. Well, what if you had a creative team working for you remotely in the cloud for less than the price of one staff member? Um, A fraction of the price of one staff member. You can have a professional video editor, an animator, and a graphic designer all working for you through Pro Media Fire. And you're one of the first to hear about it because they're only talking about it on this podcast. This is how it works. You submit an online request with project direction and upload photos or videos you want used. In a few days, your graphic designer or video editor has your custom created graphic or video available to download. It's simple uh, and for way less than hiring your own staff. So here's what you do to get that. Pro Media Fire has a limited launch special to listeners of this podcast. 10% off all plans for life, 40% off the media bundle of unlimited graphic design and custom video services for life. So how do you find that? Pro Media Fire dot com forward slash carry c-a-r-e-y you will immediately save 10 to 40 percent if you use that site promediafire.com forward slash carry and uh, guys rethink leadership is heating up i'm so excited about it it's a conference that i give leadership to and i don't know about you i, I talk to a lot of leaders who are conferenced out They're like, you know what? I got so much content. I don't know what to do with it. That's why I love Rethink Leadership. It's really more of an event or an experience even than a conference. Yes, we have some great speakers. So we have uh, like representatives from Facebook there speaking. Uh, I'm speaking there. Brad Lominick is speaking there. Danielle Strickland, uh, Darius Daniels, many others. So we got great speakers. Uh, Mike Foster is going to come this year. And we're even going to talk to Reggie Joyner. So you, you get some really creative minds. But what you get, where you don't, what you don't get in other places, what you get at Rethink Leadership is you get access. So when we do breakouts, they're not called breakouts. They're called affinity conversations. You choose. The speaker is limited to 15 minutes. The rest of the hour is your questions. We have a green room. We don't use it as much because we want you to be able to go talk to the speakers and get your questions answered. People are seated around round tables. Uh, Believe it or not, there's no production, like no music, no band, no fancy, whatever. And you know what leaders say year after year? Man, I love that. I just loved it. So 
if you want a conversation, if you want access, if you want to hang out, if you want peers that you can get better with, head on over to rethinkleadership.com right now. Okay, the deadline for registration at the lowest rate is February 21st. So you can get a discount off the regular price and you'll also get a curriculum credit toward Orange Curriculum. So check out rethinkleadership.com, find out more. Join me, John Acuff, Brad Lominick, and many others in Atlanta, May 1st and 2nd. Can't wait to see you guys for Rethink Leadership this year. Get in before it sells out. And now my conversation with author and pastor Scott Sauls. Welcome back to the podcast, round four. This is fun. Thanks, Carrie. Great to be with you as always. At some point, we're going to have to meet in person. I think that would be a good thing. I would welcome that. <laughs> so the conversation, Scott, one of the reasons I love having you on is there are always such life-giving conversations. And I think, uh, you know, what I'm trying to do, I always tell my team is uh, trying to create a space for the good people on the internet, you know, not the crazy people, the the yellers, the screamers. And I see mm. you really... Uh, trying to occupy that same ground and create a safe space for people, even who don't always agree with each other, to have a, a meaningful dialogue. And I really appreciate that about your voice. Thank you so much. I feel yeah. the same about yours, Carrie. Listen to you all the time. Well, it's it's interesting because, I mean, a lot has changed over the last few years. I was saying to a group of young leaders at our church, we were in a creative meeting yesterday, and I just said, and I think, you know, we're not that far apart in age, but I said to them, they were all in their 20s at our church. And I just said, I think you're the first generation that really doesn't believe that things are going to get better in their lifetime. Mm. And they all said, you know what, we don't, we don't think things are going to get better in our lifetime. But I always grew up with the assumption that things were going to be better for me than they were for my parents. Did you have that view when you grew up? Yeah, we did. I mean, I think we uh, we were generationally kind of in the middle of a stretch of of one generation always seeming to kind of outdo the one before it. But now, um, you know, as millennials and then the generation after millennials is coming up into the workforce, the job market's very different. Um, uh, you know, when you and I were getting out of college, it was very rare to move back home. And now that's sort of the norm because of a lack of opportunity out there. And so that's got to be, you know, somewhat discouraging for younger adults uh, these days. And of course, there are exceptions. There's some wildly creative, uh, you know, millennials who have found great opportunities and been in the right place at the right time and doing some wonderfully creative, uh, you know, energizing things as well. So it's sort of a mix, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But, you know, it's, it's, we're going to be preaching into that in 2019. So that's where that comes from. This yeah. may probably will already have aired by then. But anyway, um, yeah, it's interesting. What's changed in your world since the last time we chatted? Any big updates? Huh. Well, um, my, my mother has four stage Alzheimer's, so that's more of a, on the personal side that we're, um, we're finally at that point, uh, where, uh, we're sort of preparing for the decline and eventual loss of one of our parents, both Patty and I still have both of you know, both sets of parents with us. And, and, uh, we're grateful for that. That's unusual for, for our sort of midlife stage in life. But, um, but that's been a bit of a heartache, you know, just kind of sad to watch my mom, uh, struggle with that disease and my father alongside her. And then on the positive side, uh, we've got a daughter who's, uh, in college, she's a junior and, uh, she's studying, uh, international studies, uh, as her major learning Arabic, uh, she'll be heading over to Jordan next summer, was in New York City working with asylum seekers and, and refugees uh, uh, as sort of an intake person. And uh, so that seems to be, you know, at least in the near future, her life calling to, to work with uh, some of the world's most vulnerable. Uh, so we're really proud of her and encouraged by the way God's working in her life and the newest thing in our lives is our youngest daughter has a boyfriend, but I, I won't talk too much about that because <laughs> well, I don't I don't want to embarrass her. But uh, we've never we never dealt with uh, a high school kid having a boyfriend until now. But thankfully, he's a, a fabulous kid that uh, he's the kind of kid you want to 
um, your daughter to be around. And so, right. If she's so, going to be uh, around anybody, that's the right kind of person. For real. Right? Like if you got to, if you have to date somebody, it might as well be an amazing young man like this one. So oh, that's great. No, I appreciate sharing the personal stuff and, and, you know, it's exciting about the kids and sad to hear about your mom, but we've talked about this in previous episodes, right? The disappointment that happened in New York with you, with where you thought God was taking you and where yeah. that landed. How do you handle, cause this is a, this is an issue in corporate. This is an issue in church world, you know, you're leading a significant sized church, a big ministry, and you have all this stuff going on in your life. Like what, how do you handle loss? How do you handle the personal side? Because, you know, this episode greets leaders in every field and things aren't going well at home, or maybe one of the kids is off the rail or a parent is dying or has an illness or a best friend. And, you know, I always remind myself that people bring their whole selves to work right? Like you, yeah. you can't really separate work and life that way. So how do you handle that as, as a leader and a Christ follower? Yeah. You know, Carrie, I really appreciate the question. Um, if, if I'm being honest, I feel like we're in one of the, the most protected and cared for seasons that we've ever experienced. I mean, I, everything just feels very, um, low maintenance and, 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 and smooth and, momentum right now. It's not always been that way. And, and you mean and at the church, things are going really well. Well, yeah, at the church as well as at home. I mean, our, our marriage is strong. We're, you know, my wife's my best friend and I, I yeah. think I'm hers, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. we get along really well, you know, love each other more now, 23 years in than, than, than we ever have. And, and, uh, you know, with daughters being a little bit older, we're starting to, you know, spontaneously date again and go on trips together. Like when I travel to speak, uh, she comes with me now more often than she used to be able to. And so that's, that's fun. We're kind of side by side in ministry. Uh, so that's, that's really, uh, you know, home is a place where I love to go. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that, that, that Patty loves to hear the door open when I get there, uh, and vice versa. Um, you know, the hardest part is, of course, the extended family stuff with mom that I, that I mentioned a moment ago. But, but uh, you know, I don't take that for granted. And tomorrow it could all be, um, you know, it could all change. Um, but we're, we're just sort of in a season of, of gratitude and, and exhaling right now, uh, you know, enjoying being able to, you know, release books and things like that, yeah. which was never part of the plan. And it's just been kind of a fun, rewarding part of what we get to do now. So, we're in a season of gratitude, uh, I would say. That's that's amazing. And you know what? There's some leaders listening who are resonating with that and others are going, oh gosh, I, I, it is so hard at home right now. Like, yeah. I don't want to walk through that door or their family yeah. doesn't want them to walk through that door. What have yeah. been some keys for you and Patty in creating that kind of relationship over the years? Well, I, th- I think we've walked through some really hard seasons together. Really hard seasons. I mean, we've had... We've had uh, some miscarriages and, and been through that. We've been through, you know, what, what, what felt like really painful, almost devastating seasons of parenting, just feeling like failures. Uh, definitely having planted a couple of churches, uh, uh, felt like, you know, cashing it all in and going into vinyl repair or something, you know, just yeah. anything but ministry. I mean, we, we've been there multiple times. And so I don't want to give this picture of sort of this, this charmed life. I think this, 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 you know, possibly short little chapter we're in right now, it just feels more like a breather than, than ministry ever has before. I mean, when we first got here six and a half years ago to Christ Presbyterian, uh, here in Nashville, you know, it was a revitalization effort. And so we, we had to go through a lot of, uh, just just hard stuff where we had to do some really gutsy things that felt really costly and painful and um, you know you feel unsure of yourself uh, you know being the leader uh, in a season of change a lot too so so we've been there as well but I, I think our friendship now um, and our enjoyment of each other a lot of that is attributed to the fact that we've been through and made it through seasons like that together and we've had seasons of our marriage where, we weren't connecting well where, you know, Patty felt, you know, would feel like I was withdrawn or stressed. We both had seasons of anxiety and depression, thankfully never at the same time. So we've been able to be there for each other. But, you know, we've had our share of, of crud uh, as well. 
over the years, I think. But but that makes the sweet seasons even sweeter, I think. Uh, David Kinnaman, I think last time he was on the podcast, and he will be on again soon or will have just been on. We record these out of sequence. But uh, I remember him saying one of the keys to pastoral, and I think this is true of all leaders, but leadership longevity is resiliency. And when yeah. I'm listening to you answer that question, what I hear is resilience. I mean, anxiety, mm. depression, challenging parenting moments, times where the marriage was a little bit rough. And I think at that point, you're like, well, welcome to everybody's life. Yeah. Um, but you're in a good season and that's not the automatic ending. What, what have been some keys to resilience for you to date, Scott? The faithfulness of God, man. I mean, <laughs> you, you know this. I mean, that's the Sunday school answer. But Yeah, but you but, didn't quit. Uh, you didn't quit, and I want to know why you didn't. He holds it all together. Uh, there are a couple of reasons why, I think. Um, you know, one would be uh, what Spurgeon said once. If, if you can imagine yourself doing anything but uh, being in pastoral ministry, then by all means do it. Uh, but like vinyl know, repair is awesome. Why didn't you just go into vinyl repair? We've all had, I'm, I'm pushing. now that vinyl has come back, you know, for, yeah, for I know. Hands, but, but, uh, I, cause we know, all have that. I'll, I'll just say, I'll, I'll just, we all have that alternate career. Mine was going to be to cut grass, wash cars or stack right. boxes. Right? right. That would have been great. And I didn't go there. I want to know why you didn't go there. Well, unfortunately, my alternate career would be a, a stage musician. I'm a solid three on the Enneagram, and I don't have the skill set for that. So I'm, I'm <laughs> so you're stuck. stuck in the mystery. Yeah, but truly, though, I, 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 I don't know if I'd be good at anything else. It's the one thing that I've discovered in my life that I'm both passionate about and, and, and I think pretty good at. Um, but in terms of of sustainability during, you know, the ups and downs. I, I think Eugene Peterson's uh, emphasis on the long obedience in the same direction. Um, you know, I think I can, I can say with humility, hopefully with humility, that that's been uh, a high priority. Uh, I've never had a season in my life where my nose wasn't in scripture uh, pretty much first of every single day. I've never departed from that practice. And um, you know, I've, I've never departed from, a, a you know, the, the pursuit of quiet, private, um, you know, replenishment with, with the Lord. And, you know, when I felt like it and when I didn't, and it's kind of like, you know, doing your, your bicep curls and your sprints as an athlete, you know, sometimes you just feel not up to it, but you, you press through it anyway. And it's, it's those sort of mundane everyday um, you know, healthy practices that, that prepare you for those big, you know, crisis moments of failure or those big crisis moments of success, Carrie. I mean, you and I have both witnessed, you know, friends of ours crash and burn and it wasn't failure that destroyed them. It was success. And, and I, you know, I, I live in sort of a chronic, fear. Uh, I think maybe, I hope a healthy fear of my own ability to crash and burn. And so I, I've, I've, I think I've been, you know, pretty consistently desperate for the presence of God and for the input of scripture in my life and, and, you know, have people around me who could reinforce that as sort of part of my regular practice. And hopefully that's, you know, hopefully that's been part of it. What do you think is harder to navigate? Failure or success? Or are they both challenging? Depends on what kind of failure and depends on what kind of uh, success. Uh, but, but I would personally say, um, for me, at least in my experience, I can't make a blanket statement for everybody, but for me, um, the, the failures and the disappointments have always led to the most spiritually rich um, seasons of my life. And sometimes it took a while to get there through yeah. the failure and through the struggle. Cause you know, you, you do your wrestling with God and you go through your grief and everything else. But at the seasons of success and prosperity have been the ones where I think I've felt most vulnerable, uh, to, um, to, you know, toward ego kind of stuff. You know, like I said, I'm an Enneagram 
three. Uh, and the Enneagram three, when he or she is not healthy, wants to be the star of the show and wants to look at everybody else as, as an, as a, as a supporting actor in the story of which they are the star. Right. And, and, uh, and I, you know, I think that I personally am more susceptible to things like ego, things like developing a, a temper, things like feeling entitled and more thinking more highly of myself than I ought to when things are humming along. And, you know, that, that's one of the benefits of having Patty as my wife too, because she's a gracious truth teller. Like she's not a, yeah. she's not sharp with me. She's not harsh, but, but she's, she's loving enough to, to say, Hey, you know, I think you're, you've got a little bit of a big head here. Actually, one of the stories in, in Irresistible Faith, the, the book that releases in January, um, is about, you know, one of those moments where she graciously, graciously called me out, uh, when I was in a pretty bad place just a few days before Easter. Uh, and you don't want to be in a bad spiritual place before Easter. Uh, so what did she do? Go ahead and tell the story. Yeah. So, so this was a couple of years ago and my wife and I went on a date Wednesday night before Easter Sunday. And, you know, just a little bit of a backdrop. I, one of my main major themes in preaching is, is just how ugly and corrupt I think gossip is. I, I think gossip is, uh, is a lot. It's just another form of pornography where you undress somebody and then you get a cheap thrill off of them and you objectify them. You, you, you take a person and turn them into a thing uh, in order to get a cheap thrill without making any commitment to them. And, and I started going off on somebody who wasn't there at the table. And, mm. and, and Patty stopped me and said, you know, basically, are, are you out of your mind right now? Like you, you <laughs> preach against this kind of stuff all the time. And you know that you shouldn't have said any of what you just said to me. We both know that. And I said, oh, my goodness, you're, you're so right. And like I if I have felt like the deepest level of the Lord's conviction in my life, it was probably in that moment when the person who knows me best and loves me most, you know, just called me out on not practicing, like not just not practicing what I preach, but completely violating what I preach and what I believe so deeply. And, and, and I, I really felt just this heavy self-loathing for a couple of days. And, and I, I approached her a couple of days later and, said, do you think I'm a fraud? Like, do you think I'm, mm. do you think one of the goats instead of one of the sheep? Yeah. Uh, and I was really comforted to read in Mr. Rogers' biography that he asked the same uh, question of his wife as well. So I guess we all Oh, that's good to know. I got to read that. But, but she said, she said, no, I, I, I think, you know, the other day you needed a good dose of, of the law of God, but today you need a good dose of the grace of God that you preach all the time and you need to start preaching today to yourself, what you preach to us all the time of, of the grace of God that covers, uh, you know, a, a harsh tongue and those sorts of things. But, you know, the, the takeaway from that whole story, especially from the timing of it was, you know, cause everything, and it, I believe everything happens in God's providence and in God's perfect timing. And I just think that, that, that the most useful pastor on Easter Sunday is the one who steps into the pulpit with a limp instead of a swag. And my heart on Wednesday of that week was, was, was walking with a swag. I got Easter coming up. Attendance has been better than it's ever been. You know, everything's humming along. I think I'm just gonna, gonna go off the rails a little bit and, and say some really mean things about somebody who's not here. You know, God used the most important person in my life to, to bring me low again, which is where we always need to be, right? I mean, the most effective, the only effective ministers of the gospel are the ones who stay low and who don't get enamored with green rooms and stages and platforms. You know, you'll go in the green room and you'll go on the stage and on the platform if God calls you there, but, but you don't do it with a swag. You want to do it with a limp. You, you know, God gives grace to the humble and he, he uses the humble. I, I loved, you know, Patrick Lencioni on your show the other day, uh, Carrie, emphasizing that fact that that humility is 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 absolutely the most essential virtue to leadership, uh, and I uh, really appreciated that reminder too. Just today on the mm. 
on the treadmill. Um, well, you know. he and he and Jim Collins have both made that strong, strong case yeah. in the business Level space. Level five leader, right? Level five leader. The difference is humility. It's not yeah. skill. It's it's incredible. Um, I want to get to your book because, uh, and in particular, I want to talk about the title, which is fun because uh, <laughs> I remember you texted me. It's like, uh oh, <laughs> there's another one by this uh, title as well. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But man, you're you're becoming prolific as an author. And we interview a lot of authors, obviously, on this podcast. But I'd love to know about your writing rhythms. And uh, how many books is this in three or four years? Is it three or four? This will be the fourth, uh, I think. And it, uh, we're on pace about one a year. We're going to slow that down a little bit. I've got That's another crazy. proposal in right now. But I, I think we're going to slow it down to maybe every 18 months. But um, yeah, this one's called Irresistible Faith. I, I'm really excited about this one. Um, you know, if, if there's sort of, you know, something that I could put out there that represents kind of my comprehensive picture of, of healthy, um, life-giving, good for the world um, uh, Christianity, this is, this is, you know, my best effort, I think, so far in trying to put that in, in written form. But um, but yeah, the rhythm of writing, I, I, I work it out with the publishers now that I do have a rhythm um, to where it basically equates Carrie to about one chapter a month. And so I ask for a longer stretch of a writing period. Um, uh, and, and I'll just carve out one full day to do all the writing. And then, you know, maybe, maybe three or four hours sometime before that full day to sort of outline the, uh, you know, the chapter that I'm going to write for that month. And so, so I just sit down a hole up in a coffee shop and, and just get going. And usually I can get, you know, 5,000 words rough, 5,000 words out in, a, in, a, in one full day if I set my mind to that. And then I have two people that look at every first draft. There's a, a, an elder in our church named Anderson Spickard uh, and my wife, Patty, who put the first sets of eyes on every chapter I write. And they offer their feedback. I incorporate it. And then I stick it in the the initial manuscript. And when the whole manuscript's done, I'll send it over to the publisher and then the publisher will chop it up. Uh, <laughs> no, so. but that's an aggressive, that's a, that's a fast pace, like one a year. I'm three years usually between books. So, mm-hmm. Well, uh, you're doing a that. lot of other things too, Carrie. So. Uh, one or two other things, but yeah. yeah, I know. No, writing is a, writing's a big task. It is. That's good. Uh, so yeah, there's no morning rhythm. It's basically like one day a month. Pretty much. Yeah. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to cheat my church. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. first and foremost, uh, a local church pastor and, um, and I, I feel very, um, indebted to our church family. Uh, you know, they love us well, we love them dearly and I don't want to distance myself from, from the life of our church. So, so I try to try to compartmentalize as much as I can. Where do your ideas come from? Like, well, how do you know I've got a book out of this? Because that that's a question a lot of people get. We don't ask that a lot on this podcast, and I'm just curious where where yeah, your ideas come from. I don't know. I, I think really it's just what subjects am I passionate about right now that I that yeah. I feel like uh, I've got a lot of thoughts about. Uh, it's not a really scientific process and I'll, I'll typically throw out to my, my literary agent and or publisher, Hey, here are three or four ideas. Which one do you like best? Um, and then they'll, they'll say, well, we like this one and this one. Uh, and then I'll work on, you know, whatever they like the best a little bit more. And it just kind of develops into a back and forth conversation until it turns into a proposal of sorts, but nothing really scientific. Um, just kind of what I feel during, during the, whatever season we're in. It's often the way it is, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You talk to writers, it's like, well, I think, and, and, you know, when you're coming up with 50 to 70,000 words too, you better have something to say about an issue too. So you got to be able to go deep in the well. Well, your new book is called Irresistible Faith, Becoming the Kind of Christian the World Can't Resist. Um, and again, I remember the text I got from you and it's like, whoa, Andy has a book. Andy Stanley has a book called Irresistible. So I want you yeah. to help clarify. I think you, you, you guys were writing simultaneously, but in parallel universes, yeah. not realizing you were doing this. Uh, well, here, tell me, tell me what your book, go ahead. 
Go ahead. Oh yeah. Here's the, the, the funny story behind that is I, I wanted to call the book a light so lovely, which, which comes out of a, a quote from Madeline Langle. You know, she says, uh, we draw people to Christ, not by telling them how right we are and how wrong they are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they're, they can't help but ask the source of the light. And, uh, so I wanted to call the book a light so lovely. And my publisher said, well, well now, um, you know, cause there, there's a, there's a book coming out on the life of Madeline Langle and that's the title, a light so lovely. And I'm like, okay, well you don't want to have duplicate titles. And then, <laughs> and then, and then we, and then we arrived at irresistible faith, which, um, it gets funnier. Um, you know, irresistible faith was actually the original title. I come to find out of Andy's book, um, which then got shortened to irresistible. Um, and, and I reached out to the, to the publisher and I said, well, um, you know, Andy Stanley, um, uh, is, is coming out with a book by the same title. Is that a concern? Like it was with the Madeline Langle thing. And they're like, Oh no, 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 no big deal. No big deal. Turns out Andy and I actually have the same publisher. <laughs> and so, so we're both with Thomas Nelson. Um, but, um, but they are, you know, they are different titles. Uh, mine has twice as many words to the title as his does. His zeros. Oh, there you go. There's the big faith. difference. And it's a different angle on the subject too. I mean, Andy goes in a different direction. He's more talking about his perspective on our relationship with scripture. And I'm, I'm talking about it in, in, you know, in a, in a very different thematic way. So, so the books are different. But if I can ride the wave any of any momentum Andy Stanley might have to get the word out about this book, I'd be happy to do that. I'm shameless about that. <laughs> I think that's one of those things because, you know, I get a lot of questions from people who want to do whatever, whether that's a podcast, write a book, you know. And I think there's a myth out there, and I'd love to hear you comment on that before we dive into the book, but that you have to have an original idea that nobody has ever spoken into before, which, number one, is impossible yeah. But yeah, it is within four months of each other, two books called Irresistible or Irresistible Faith on Christianity come out at the same time. Um, and, and they both have a shot at doing very well. Do you want to comment on that? Like where, because, because I've, I've heard that so many times that people go, oh, that idea is taken. Well, I mean, Ecclesiastes said there's nothing new under the sun, right? Um, yeah. And I think that applies to books as well. Uh, you know, I can't remember the statistic. I heard of a number of books that's published every year, but it's sort of overwhelming. It makes you feel very small if you're releasing one because it's like millions yes. of books every year. But, um, but yeah, you know, Andy's Andy is Andy, uh, and um, you know he's you know superstar, you know mega pastor that <laughs> that he is. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm me, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Tim Keller for dummies in the same way that, you know, <laughs> John Ortberg would call himself Dallas Willard for, for dummies. I suppose I would call myself Tim Keller for dummies after my, my friend and mentor, uh, Tim, but, but, uh, this particular book is one of those heart community world, um, uh, books where the first third of it is, you know, anchoring our identity and the irresistibility of Jesus Christ himself. Like that's the starting point. Like forget being influential. If, if your yeah. heart is not right, you know, you, we've got to like the apostle Paul, be able to say that I, that I gave to you what I first received from God, you know, where Paul wrote that. Um, and then the second section is, is about what, um, the irresistibility of Christ in our hearts can, can do to our experience of community in, in terms of just deepening uh, our life together. Um, you know, you might call part two kind of Bonhoeffer for dummies. It's just sort of my attempt to sort of pop, repopularize some of the some of the salient, you know, uh, concepts on community that Bonhoeffer so beautifully uh, wrote about in, in life together. And then um, and then the final part is, uh, is about the serving the world aspect and, and that's, uh, becoming an irresistible Christian and it's separated into to three, uh, sections. One is about our, our calling to give special attention to the weak and the poor and those on the margins. And, and if, if there's no room in, in our hearts for, for the poor, then there, there really in truth is no room in our hearts for God because Christ is just 
constantly, um, you know, moving with those uh, along the margins and, and loving people and healing people and choosing to live in poverty himself. And then the, the next chapter there is uh, about embracing work as mission. Uh, it's just sort of to animate the, the imagination, especially of Christians, to understand that if you're involved with any creative or restorative endeavor, whatever your field, whatever your industry, whatever your skill set or profession, vinyl repair or pastoral ministry, uh, if you're creating or restoring any person, any place or anything in what you do, then your work is just as much part of what God's doing in the world as a pastor or a missionary. And I, I, I feel like part of my life's mission is, con is to convince people that that's true. Um, and, and, uh, and by the way, that includes, you know, stay at home parents as well. Uh, uh, and then the last chapter is, is just called leaving it better. And it's just about, you know, kind of the, you know, being intentional with things like neighbor love and, 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 you know, being shy about ourselves and boastful about Jesus and in the places where we live, work and play. And, and of course, contextually sensitive and winsome in appropriate ways. And, and so, so yeah, I'm pretty excited about this one. Even Bob Goff uh, was willing to, to put his name on this one. Bob wrote the forward. So, uh, so that, that's kind of a, a highlight of my life to, to have, uh, you know, Bob, uh, quote unquote partner with me in one of my projects. It just uh, kind of took my breath away that he he said he'd be willing to do that. So that's pretty um, exciting. Yeah, yeah, Bob's Bob's amazing. And you mm. know the backstory on Bob is that uh, it's almost better in person than you see the 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 public persona. He really is that way. The way he yeah, comes he's across. the real deal. It's kind of overwhelming to think how you know Charlie Peacock wrote this song one time about Jesus. Uh, it's amazing how one man gets around, and that's kind of how we think about Bob. You know, it's just yeah. how he he gets around. You know, uh, but he's he's the real deal. The stuff he writes about is his actual life. So, why did you feel compelled to write the book? Like, why this one? Why now? What was the because most of us write to address a problem. So what's the problem you're trying to address? That's a great question. And that's really what, what all the publishers ask the authors too. Like what, what itch are you trying to scratch? What, mm -hmm. what, what felt need or what actual need are you trying to shed light on and provide solutions for? And I, I think in very similar ways, um, you know, my very first book, Jesus Outside the Lines, uh, a way forward for those who are tired of taking sides, uh, and then similar themes in Befriend, uh, create belonging in an age of judgment, isolation, and fear. I, I think that I think there is a general feeling of discouragement everywhere about um, the state of the world. And if you're a Christian, you're probably also quite discouraged about the place of Christians in the world right now. Um, yeah. it seems like, uh, you know, if you're a Christian, you're either being lumped in, uh, and caricatured, uh, uh, you know, as a certain, you know, partisan political, you know, type of person and, and sort of written off on that basis. Uh, you know, Philip Yancey writes about this, about how, you know, when he asks people what they think of Christians, one, you know, one of the answers he gets oftentimes is, you know, judgmental, narrow-minded, out of touch, things like that. And I don't know. I, I, I just, and, and, and meanwhile, the world is turning in on itself and, and, and doesn't seem to have any life-giving voices or solutions for the hostility and polarization and anger and vitriol and, fatigue that the world seems to be experiencing, especially in the current political climate that we're in. And so I still have hope, Carrie, that, that the gospel and the spirit of God working faithfully through Christian people can be a very significant part of the answer to the world's woes uh, and the world's fatigue and the world's um, polarization. And so I, I try to make a case for that, but but the case for that is really more just in the introduction and then the last section of the book. But, you know, parts one and two are really about building the foundations that are needed first in order to become the kinds of people uh, that embody that 
quote from Madeline Langle, you know, about the light so lovely. You know, Jesus talked about being the light of the world, the salt of the earth, the city on a hill, you know, sort of people who lift the mood in the same way that the sun lifts the mood when when natural light, you know, is present. Um, we're supposed to be those people. We are supposed to be God's gift to the world in that way. And we're supposed to be a picture of hope. And and I think we've really struggled uh, as Christians to be that, uh, especially in our part of the world for quite some time. And so this is sort of a clarion call, I think, uh, from my little corner of the world uh, to, to have hope for a different future and for a better um, a better kind of presence uh, in the world. And, and, uh, I, yeah. I hope that answers the question adequately. No, it does. And I think it's really needed, Scott. It's one of the reasons I so appreciate your voice and, and even your tone. Um, if you guys follow Scott on uh, social, he's, you're, you're, you're a good voice to follow because you, you, I'm not going to say the middle way because it's not like you don't have views and opinions, but, uh, you find, I think you have a way of explaining grace and truth really well. Um, what are some of the ways that you think we have in our generation made the Christian faith resistible? If the goal is to make it irresistible, how have we made it resistible? Why do you think, you, you hinted at the Philip Yancey quote, but why do you think so many people just, you know, when they hear Christianity, they roll their eyes, they close their hearts, and they walk away? Yeah, so that's an easy question to answer for me. Um, in my opinion, it's the conflation of Christianity with partisan politics. Uh, wow. I that think clear. When, you, when, when, when your Christianity equals your republicanism uh, or when your Christianity equals your, you know, being a Democrat, um, you know, all of a sudden you, you put blinders on yourself and you cut off um, the virtues of, of people on the other side of, of the political continuum. Um, you know, like any human philosophy, any human, uh, you know, idea or worldview, the whole scripture and the whole Christ come in and affirm what's good and critique what's not. And uh, whenever we, we get to a place you know, like, like I think older generation, people over 40 uh, are, I think, rightly um, called to task by younger generations for, for wrongly conflating uh, right-leaning politics with Christianity, even though there are good things, you know, good emphases and, and you know, that, that overlap with the gospel, like the, the sanctity of, of a human life. Uh, or, you know, the, the value of hard work uh, and, and things of that sort. Um, but on the other side, I think the younger generations are going to be at risk potentially with their own children. Younger, younger Christians even are going to be at risk with their own children of, of conflation with their Christianity to left-leaning politics where, where you know, there, there's this heavy and appropriate focus on, on social justice, et cetera, but, but also um, leaving out uh, certain things that overlap with the other political you know, side in the Christian story. And so I, I think that the answer for all of us, young or old, is to recognize that there's a hierarchy of kingdoms and the kingdom of Jesus is not alongside the kingdoms of, of men and women. The kingdom of Jesus stands above all of it. And uh, it's the only kingdom that, that, that the scriptures say will be without end. And of the increase, you know, Isaiah says, remember this in the Christmas holiday when you hear this, he says, of the increase of Jesus's government, there will be no end. You know, he rules the world, world with truth and grace and so on. And so I, I think that the answer for all of us is to start to ask the question together. What does it look like for us to follow the whole Christ and the whole scripture the whole time? Um, and when we do that, uh, we're going to find ourselves not completely at home with any human political system because we're going to find inconsistencies there just as well as we find congruencies there with with Christ and his kingdom and so so I think we need to we need to we need to you know we we can be political people and should be involved in political processes and things of that sort um 
but not in such a way that we become dismissive and even untruthful and voluntarily blind to the weaknesses of whatever platforms we align ourselves with. Sorry, that was a long answer and kind of a soapbox, but sorry. No, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm curious because, I mean, I'm a Canadian with a largely American audience. So I kind of come at this stuff not having been, you know, raised in the same milieu and even on social to see some of the things that people I know that are very reasonable people. But when it comes to politics, they kind of go, in my view, crazy and mm. they're sharing stuff, whether it's almost fake news or they're liking some hyper extreme conservative or in some cases liberal view. And, you know, because I have friends in, in many places why do you think there is such a fusion between the religious mind and the political mind? Like, cause I agree I, in the kingdom of God, they are not coupled together. Yeah. I, you know, no Republican is an ideal representation of Jesus, nor is any Democrat or in my country, no conservative, no liberal, no, no, right. no new Democrat is yeah. the embodiment of Christ. But that seems to be missing in the church today. Yeah, I think it's because the human heart loves power more than it loves service. Uh, and Jesus turns everything upside down. He comes in weakness. Though he was rich, he became poor. That Through his poverty, we might become rich. He enters the world in a manger. He leaves the world on a trash heap crucified uh, by the Roman government as an enemy of the state and, and as a an excommunique of the temple. And, and um, I, I think we have to fall out of love with power so that we can use power well, whatever hmm. degree. And Andy Crouch has written a beautiful you know, book on this called Strong and Weak, which is very well worth the time and investment. But, but we have to fall out of love with power. That doesn't mean we, we need to repudiate power, but we have to use whatever power that God entrusts us with, not to chiefly and foremost protect our own rights, but but to serve the world and serve our neighbor. I love what my friend Michael Ware says. I don't know if you've ever had Michael on your show, Carrie, no. but that would be a great conversation to consider one day. Michael says that voting uh, is 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 one of the vehicles in, in, in societies where citizens have a say. Voting is, is one of the first steps that, that you get to take to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how many of us go into voting booths thinking more about the interests of those who are more, more vulnerable than we are than we do about ourselves and protecting our own rights and our own privileges and our own you know, power? And so... You know, Jesus calls for a complete reversal of that. He, he doesn't. Here's a quote from the book. Here's a little, you know, preview. Jesus has not called his followers to deny their neighbors, take up their comforts, and follow their dreams. He's called us to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow him. And when you follow Jesus, you know where that leads. It leads to Jerusalem, where death awaits you. And, and, after death, resurrection, and there's no resurrection before, uh, you know, unless there's death that, that precedes it. And the first death we have to die, and it, of course, takes a lifetime to die this death, is a death to self and a death to ego and the death to, you know, putting ourselves first and, and, and a death to our love of power so that we can steward power uh, and, and handle it well in a way that brings glory to God and greater love to the world. So does that lead to being apolitical? Uh, depends on where you're coming from, man. I mean, the way the world works is the people who are the most vulnerable. I mean, think of, think of civil rights, um, you know, under Dr. King's leadership. Like no progress would have been able to, to, to happen in civil rights without, um, you know, government establishments. And I, I think the more privilege you have, the less, the, the more luxury you have in saying, oh, we, we should just distance ourselves from government and politics. Um, and the less privilege and power you have, the more you're going to need the system, um, you know, to, to um, 
to advocate for for things like truth and justice and so on. And so uh, I think it's it's worth reminding ourselves that government is one of the three institutions that God gave us. He gave us family, he gave us a church, and he gave us government, all of which are good. God invented government, man invented politics. And and mm-hmm. and and so we have to we have to recognize that distinction that politics are not always good and politics are not always of of God. Government is is what God established and we we have to ask ourselves how can our politics lead to a healthier more life-giving government. Hmm. In 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 I'm not asking you to endorse candidates or anything like that on either side, but are there other voices that you find would be great people to follow for people who are trying not to spend their life, as we talked about in previous interviews, you know, communicating in all caps, uh, sharing extreme news, getting frustrated with their friends, blocking and unfriending people. You know, it's so combative and it's only gotten worse since the last time you and I connected on this podcast. So who are some people who are modeling in your view a way to trying to bring some reasonability and sanity into a pretty crazy era. So I think Ann Voskamp would be one that comes to mind, um, you know, and in distress because she's a very sensitive soul, you know, yeah. shoots me a message one day and says, you know, this is after, you know, one month she takes on Planned Parenthood and the next month she she takes on people who don't care about immigrants and refugees and so she's you know she's she's getting hit she's getting punched from from all sides and she says i think i'm too liberal for my conservative friends and i'm too conservative for my liberal friends and and i don't know what to do i don't know what to think and i said i think you're probably right where you belong you know yeah. tim keller tim keller encouraged me once after i gave a, a sermon uh, in New York and, and I got, you know, a flood of emails the next day. Most of them were encouraging, but, but, but one person called me a, a left wing Marxist. And then another person called me a right wing extremist about the same sermon. And I was preaching on the poor and, and so on. Yeah. And I said, what do you make of this? He says, it, you know, it, it probably means you're right where you belong. I mean, it, the longer our people, uh, are guessing where we are politically, probably the more true we're being to Christ because his kingdom's above earthly kingdom and so on. So, so Tim's would be another voice, um, you know, for sure. I like Russell Moore a lot. Um, you know, I think, I think Russ Moore, um, you know, would, would be another version of what Ann said, you know, he's, he's sometimes taking it, taking hits from, from the right of him and sometimes taking hits from the left of him, which, you know, to me means he's probably in a pretty faithful place. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, people like Eugene Peterson and Henry Nowlin and, and, and others, you just kind of rise above all this. I was going to say, when you mentioned those names, it's like, you just transcend that. You're not yeah. like yeah. the fighting is happening at 3000 feet or 2000 feet. And these guys are like at 10,000 or 20,000 because the human issues really, that's a really good principle. The human issues transcend Mm -hmm. the mud of today. And and I'm not saying the mud's not important. I'm not saying that these aren't real issues. I'm just saying, you know, there is so, and it it feels like such a narrow view, Scott. It just feels like, you know, I'm going to die on this hill that is very current in January of 2019 or whatever you're, you know, that this is the issue that defines all issues when yeah. I'm not really sure it is. Yeah. As, as we kind of wind down, people are listening to this going, okay, give me, and you've done a really good job of this in your other books as well, but give me some practical things. I mean, if I want to spend less time annoying my neighbor, alienating friends and family members, and do a better job reflecting the integrity and the authenticity of Christ in a highly polarized world, Shoot me some ideas here, Mr. Sauls. What would you say? Well, I, I, you know, not that this interview is about that book, but I, I could make a plug for Jesus Outside the Lines, which was written to, yeah. as an attempt to, to answer that question. 
uh, grateful for you, uh, you know, for helping me as a first time author at that time to kind of get the word out about that. But, but irresistible faith deals with, with those sorts of things as well. But I think that from scripture, which is a lot more potent than any book that I could ever release, uh, I, I think, um, wisdom like a gentle answer turns away wrath, um, is paramount, uh, for now. Uh, you know, and, and this is what, you know, this current book, Irresistible Faith, tries to do is ask the question, you know, how do we get our hearts to that place? How do we use the resources of the gospel to get our hearts to the place where we become less defensive and less offensive <laughs> as a result? Because we, you know, like people like Eugene Peterson can rise above, you know, the noise and not feel like we've got to you know, get our zinger in or, or set the record straight all the time. You know, I, I, one of the things I say in the book uh, is that uh, God has not just called his people to be the best kinds of friends. He's also called us to be the best kinds of enemies to the end that as far as it depends on us, as Hebrews says, we don't have any enemies. Uh, and, and, you know, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people, you know, the, 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 the scripture says, you know, to, to, to really put on the front of our radar, the importance of, of, of our witness, you know, in the midst of this environment. And I, I think the greatest argument in favor for Christianity right now in this climate is kindness. Like, I can't think of a better way to be counterculture in a way that says Jesus is above all of this and Jesus is somebody you ought to get to know than than a, a critical masses of his people in every you know town municipality etc responding to all of this madness with a gentle answer that turns away wrath, with with kindness. You know, the scriptures say it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. I mean, we all know what it feels like when when we're in a disagreement with somebody and they're the first one to apologize. It melts us, right? And it, it just causes our guard to go down. And, you know, whenever somebody humbles themselves with us, unless we're sociopaths, you know, our hearts are going to be warmed toward that person, and we're going to think more highly of them than, than we ever have. Uh, and, and you know, what, what a secret weapon that could be, humility and kindness uh, in a world that, that seems to be so absent of humility and kindness, because we all want to get in our digs and get our pound of flesh from somebody. I think there are some people listening who would say, sure, that sounds great, but isn't kindness weakness? What, what would you say to those who see kindness as weakness? I would say that the greatest moment of weakness for Jesus Christ is what changed the world. Who are you to think you're any better than Jesus Christ in terms of how you're going to change the world? You know, I, I mean, <laughs> you got a better good. plan uh, than, than the one who right. made you. And your bashing of this other guy is really going to change the world? Truly. Ask your listeners this question. How many people do you know who have the story, the testimony? I fell in love with Jesus Christ. I entered the kingdom of God. I became an enthusiastic member of, of a local church because a Christian or a group of Christians scolded me about my behavior or scolded me on Facebook about my politics. I've been, I've been a Christian, Carrie, for 32 years. I've been in ordained ministry for... Uh, gosh, forever, since 1996, however, you know, 22, 23 years, I've never met a single person with that story. I have met so many people, Carrie, who've said, I became a Christian through, through a Christian humbling themselves and saying they're sorry about something. And it just seems so different. Like I saw a Christian and, and, and his wife arguing with each other and, and, and they apologized to each other and, and forgave each other, or, or, or somebody loved me in the kingdom in spite of myself, and they didn't fight me back. They just, they, they figured out a way to love me where I was at, and that's how Jesus came on my radar. 
but but scolding and lecturing and winning arguments does not win the world. It does not. It just it puts people in their place. It reinforces our self-righteousness. It just keeps us in our echo chambers where the only people that are listening to our preaching is the choir. And, and, and it doesn't do any good for the world. And so the less mean-spirited we can become, and that doesn't mean don't have convictions. That doesn't mean don't stand up for justice. Um, you know, but, but maybe start by defending somebody else's rights instead of defending your own. <laughs> Let's get to your rights later on. And defend somebody else's rights for a while and, and see what that does in terms of your kingdom impact. My, my guess is that it will increase your impact substantially over the, the strategy or method of defending your own rights. Sorry, I'm starting to preach now. No, no, no. This is good. Sorry. Preach, man. I'm, I'm with you on, the, on this one. You know, it, it does explain why Christians are increasingly hated by non-Christians or frankly, where we've been tuned out to the point where the world is indifferent to us. It's like, you go have your little thing in the corner and we will go on uh, doing our thing. Eugene Peterson said this in the time I had the privilege, I had to interview him. He said, during the 1968 race riots in Baltimore, people were worried about what was happening in the city. I was worried about what was happening in people. And I just, I never want to forget that. And he said yeah. that was the basis because he was doing this like Thursday Bible study with some guys or whatever, and nobody was interested in the Bible. And he said, yeah. well, maybe if I translate it from the Greek for them, they'll take an interest in scripture because all they could think about is were they going to lose their home? Were they going to lose their property? Are property values going down? You know, all that stuff mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. the riots, you know, bring to a city. And he said when they actually saw the Bible translated, you know, with, 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 it would become the message that's when they started to get changed. But I love the fact that, you know, his city's burning and he's obviously concerned about that, but he's even more concerned. And this is that transcendent thing about what is happening in the hearts of these people? What is happening in people? And he wanted to bring the gospel there. And and that's one thing. I mean, there's a consistency in your voice, Scott, uh, through all your books that uh, I think needs to be reckoned with. And I'm really, really grateful uh, for you bringing your voice day in and day out on good days and bad days. I look forward to no news days, you know, when the leading article is about, you know, something that isn't really urgent, that those are good days. Yeah. Um, yeah. Scott, where can people learn more about you and the book? Uh, website, scottsauls.com. Uh, I blog there every week and all, all my book information for all the things I've written is on, on there as well as other stuff, links to our church, sermons, that kind of thing. So that's probably the best place to go. Books are, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, all the usual suspects. Yeah. All the usual suspects. Um, uh, so yeah, thanks so much, Carrie. I appreciate that. And the book is called Irresistible Faith. We'll link to everything in the show notes. Not to be confused with Andy Stanley's Irresistible. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> By the both, they're both worth reading for sure. Scott, thank you so much. I know this won't be the last time. Thanks, Carrie. Appreciate it so much. Well, Scott, just thank you. Thanks for your voice. Thanks for your friendship. Thanks for what you're doing. His new book is called Irresistible Faith. It has instantly become a bestseller. It just, it sold like crazy in its first month. You'll want to check that out. We got everything in the show notes for you. So you can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 244 and find everything there, including transcripts. And we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you can get your podcasts. We are there. Make sure you subscribe if you enjoyed this. And hey, uh, do get with 2019. Check out promediafire.com forward slash carry. And you can get a creative team in the cloud working for you directly at a fraction of the price of staffing. This is, this is going to be a huge leap forward for so many churches this year. So go to promediafire.com forward slash carry. And guys, rethink leadership coming up. Don't miss the deadline for registration. It sells out every year. I want to see you there. Rethinkleadership.com. And let's hang out together in May. I would love to meet you, love to hear your story and love to help you grow in your leadership for that. Hey, we're back next week with another good friend, Judd Wilhite. Judd is just one of the finest people I know. He's an incredible leader and talks very openly about where they're at as a church. So they're reaching like 20,000 people on the weekend. They continue to grow. He talks about the real Las Vegas where everybody lives, 2 million people live there. And uh, what their church is going through strategically right now in real time, he opens up his books. It's fascinating. What's working, what's not working. 
Here's an excerpt from that conversation. But for me, it went back to the first part of that sentence. Just delight yourself in the Lord. That's really all you need to worry about. Mm. The presence is the promise. And everything else then, the weight that I was carrying, the unforgiveness in my heart, the more I just delighted in God and worked through that process, the more that just started being lighter and lighter and lighter. And the more I feel like my expectations were aligned with what, what the ultimate promise really is. It's not that you're going to grow a big church and have a huge impact. You might, but, you know, that, but the promise is the presence <laughs> you know, of God in your life. So that is next week. Uh, Make sure you don't miss it. And you can subscribe to get there automatically. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for the ratings and reviews, for sharing and for all that stuff. Uh, Let's hang out this week on social. I'm Carrie Newhoff on Instagram, C. Newhoff on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, I know you know how to spell that. If you don't know how to spell any of that, just head over to leadlikeneverbefore.com. That's where all my stuff is. And you can jump off from there. Thanks so much for listening. Catch you next time. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.